that we're trying to communicate to you. And we realize that not everybody uses an app, but a lot of people, most people, have a smartphone these days. And we want to limit the amount of communication we bring to you and not have it coming 9 and 12 and 14 different ways. So if you can participate with us by hopping on that Church Center app, finding Victory Life Church, and if you scan one of those QR codes that's been available to you the last few weeks, you can do that real, real easy. That helps us keep in track with, keep track with, of you and also helps you keep track of us. And so we really want to encourage every single person that is able, who has a smartphone, to be on that Church Center app with us. It's the one-stop shop for life groups, events, servanthood, and all that good stuff. So we hope you participate in that with us. I know many of you came to worship the Lord in giving today, and we're so glad that you do. That's how we do the work of the ministry. So if you came to bring your tithes and offerings today and worship the Lord that way, you can do it one of three ways. You can text to give. You can give online, or as you're walking out, there's a little box that says offering, and you can drop your offering as you walk in out today and uh, worship the Lord in that way. Would you stand with us today? And we're going to prepare our hearts to worship. And so this is the moment of the service that you get to quiet your heart and get excited about who God is. And so would you bow your heads, and would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be in your house today. We're so blessed to be able to worship your name. You have given us life and hope in the name of Jesus Christ. So I pray today as we worship you, we worship as Jesus promised, in spirit and in truth. May our spirits connect to yours in the next few moments, and may the truth of the gospel spring from each one of our lips. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship. All right, together. It's okay to get excited about the Lord this morning. We're here to worship Him. Come on.
is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. This is what living looks like. resurrected and in heaven with him, we will see him in 100% his perfect holiness and we'll never stop praising on that day. But until then, we'll praise and give him glory because he sent his son so that we could have connection with God the Father. Let's worship him for his holiness today.
you to bow your heads this morning. And if you're comfortable, just raise your, raise your hands to the Lord this morning. Lord, we thank you that you're holy. But you still meet with us. Lord, we sing your praises.
Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for breaking down the barriers between us and you so that we could ultimately find the place where we belong, which is in your presence. Some came this morning feeling unworthy to be in your presence. I pray that you would break down that barrier, remove that lie, and I pray that you would move in close and speak to hearts and minds for the remainder of our time today in ways that are new, in ways that are fresh, in ways that reignite a reconnection to you, which is where we belong, close to you. We thank you for this, and we thank you for breaking down the barrier. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my great privilege to pinch hit for Pastor Matt this morning. And uh, before we get into the study of God's Word, I do want to release our young disciples, and you can make your way down the hall to a church on your level, and so have a great time uh, doing so. But once again, it's my great privilege to share God's Word with you today, and um, I wish I could tell you, open up your Bibles to this chapter or that chapter but there's like five or six places where we're going to be. And I'm going to tell you where those places are right now. But just be made aware of the fact that all of this will be displayed on the screen for your following this morning. And you'll be drinking scripture from a water hose, shall we speak. So those places that where we will be will include Matthew 16, Matthew 26, John 21, and Acts chapter 2. And maybe a few more places, quite frankly, I can't remember at this moment in time. But nonetheless, as you may recall, we started our vision for the year, which is focused on uh, living the story and making disciples. Give me a thumbs up if you remember that that's our theme for this year. Awesome. Very cool. And Pastor Matt started the series last week on a, a few, maybe two or three week series entitled Discipleship Reproduction. And last week, Pastor Matt talked about the hard work that goes into uh, making disciples and so today we're going to look at a particular disciple relationship between two individuals, none other than Jesus, the best discipleship maker ever, and the disciple Peter. Now, as you may recall, if you know the scriptures well, Jesus had big plans for Peter, uh, but Jesus had to also deal with big problems as it pertains to Peter. And I have to be honest with you, if I were Jesus, I might have kicked Peter off my team and invited someone else uh, to join me because it was a constant uphill battle uh, with this guy, Peter. Uh, in fact, I remember hearing a story about an uphill battle. There were two guys on a tandem bicycle going up a very steep hill. And after much effort, they finally made it to the top. 
And the front rider said, boy, that was, a, that was a really tough ride. To which the second rider on the back said, boy, it sure was. And if I hadn't kept the brake on, we might have slipped backwards. <laughs> well, I tell you that story to illustrate the fact that Peter was the kind of disciple that often kept the brakes on when Jesus was trying to move upwards and onwards. Because Peter had his own way of thinking about things. Peter had his own way of responding to the, to the call that Jesus had on his life. But I think that you will see that Jesus, the best disciple maker ever, still is willing to reveal himself to his disciple Peter in spite of rejection, rebellion, and Peter's own way of doing things. In fact, I think you will find that, that Jesus is willing to take the risk at revealing himself because he can see the big picture. And so I introduce today with this overarching statement that will kind of define what we'll talk about, and it's this. If you were to ask me, what's the main idea? This is the main idea. It's that God gives revelation, which often leads to rejection, but he always works to bring redemption. God gives revelation, and it often leads to rejection, but he always works to bring redemption. Let's look at the revelation part first. Starting in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it says this about a story that went on between Jesus and Peter. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, very important question, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now let's pause there just for a minute and let's define and explain what this city and town and community of Caesarea Philippi was like. Uh, as you may know, Caesarea Philippi was a pagan city. In fact, there were Greek temples built in this city to honor a Greek god whose name was Pan. And in Caesarea Philippi, there was a cave where Pan supposedly lived, which was believed to be the gateway to, to the underworld. And experts say that Pan was really kind of the personification of the evil one in Caesarea Philippi. He was really the personification of the devil himself in this particular community. And so Caesarea Philippi was in effect under the influence of, of the devil's foothold. So this is the place in which Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. And he says, who do people say that I am? Look at what it says in verses 14 and following. They replied, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus points the question towards them and he says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And this guy named Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So in this place, in this setting where Satan's presence was real, this is the place where Peter makes known his belief in Jesus as God. This was an important revelation for Peter, but it was also an important revelation for Jesus because Jesus wanted to know what was in Peter's heart. He wanted to get a pulse on what Peter believed in a world where there were lots of options. Because that's what disciple makers do. And this best disciple maker ever 
asked Peter some questions. He wanted to dig deeper into the realm of his heart to surface the kind of stuff that God was doing. And so as a result of this, in verses 17 and following, we see kind of some bigger stuff that Jesus unveils for Peter. It says this, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So as a disciple maker, Jesus reveals to Peter this big future that he has for him. This was a big moment for Peter. And it was also a big moment for Jesus to kind of forecast how God would use Peter to build the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is basically saying to Peter that he would be the foundational person for God's plan moving forward. This is a huge moment in the history of Revelations and also in the history of Christianity. Now, I would imagine some of you in here have had people in your life who have done the same thing. What I mean is some of you have had disciple makers who have stepped into your life and they have told you, I see this in your future. Some of you have had disciple makers who have said to you things like, you're going to be a leader. Uh, you're going you're to be a change agent. Uh, you might be a parent to someone who needs you. And some of you have had people who can see this kind of stuff in you because God is eager to reveal more of what he wants us to see after we get that first step correct. Well, in this case, when Peter came to understand and give voice to the truth and reality that Jesus was God, you know, the, the, bigger, picture, the bigger picture came for him. This happened for me way back in 1991, back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Um, I was a senior in high school and decided to get baptized and to give my life to Christ in March of 1991, in fact. And then about three or four months later, I went to a youth conference at Kentucky Christian College. It's now Kentucky Christian University, and it was called Summer in the Sun. And when I was there, I kept having these moments where God was prompting me and kind of showing me a bigger picture. It was kind of revealing to me what my future was going to look like. And the revelation for me was, you're going to be a pastor, which I thought was the craziest thing ever. So I sat down with my mentor. We had lunch maybe midway through that week. I think it was on Wednesday. His name was Louie. And he said, what's God doing in your heart this week? And I said, you know what? This might sound crazy to you, Louie, but I think that I'm supposed to be a pastor. And he said, me too. And it just shocked me. He's like, no, God's been downloading the same thing to me as he has to you, and I see this in your future. Now, I was blown away that Louie was saying this to me, because Louie was actually the speaker at this youth conference. And I just thought, there's no way I could ever do what I see him doing. But he said, I see this in your future. I affirm what God is revealing to you. See, this is kind of the same thing that happened to Peter. Right after he got Jesus right, soon after that, God gave him a bigger picture of what his future 
look like. A big picture and a plan on which the entire kingdom of God was depending upon. A big picture about Peter being the person who Jesus had given the keys to unlock the door to the kingdom for others. I want to highlight just one important point about this concept of the keys to the kingdom. You see, when Jesus says that Peter will have the keys to the kingdom, Jesus is implying that he will have the ability to unlock doors that were previously closed. Now, some of you, if I may, have been given a huge revelation in your life. There has been times in your life where God has told you that you're going to unlock doors for others who do not believe they can gain access to the kingdom. There are people in your life right now that no one else can reach because others may have written them off, but some of you have been assigned to them as their disciple maker. They are in your life right now because God wants you to get to them. Not your life group leader. Nothing against my life group leaders. I love you very much. Not even your pastors. You are the one to unlock the doors to their heart. It's going to be the gospel that proceeds from your mouth to their heart. You are the disciple maker God wants to use. And the gates of hell, Jesus promises, will not prevail against you. My encouragement to you this morning is to act on that revelation that God has given you. Well, I imagine Peter must have been feeling, feeling like he had just gotten back from a really big spiritual experience, like a youth worship conference like that I had been to. And some of you probably know what that feels like, to come back from an experience like that. You have more confidence than ever. You feel like your heart's going to explode because... God has revealed to you that you are going to unlock the keys of the kingdom for certain people in your life. But you know, one thing I like about the Bible, one thing I love about the Bible, is that it tells us the unvarnished truth about reality. It tells us that even though God may reveal big pictures to people, it's often followed up by a setback. By a setback. In fact, in the life of Peter, not only is it followed by a setback, it's followed by a straight-up rejection of God's plan, which leads us to our second thing we're going to focus on this morning, the rejection. The rejection. Look at later on in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 and following. It says this. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Well, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, didn't have very kind words to say to him. He said, get behind me, Satan, because you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Can you believe this exchange of words between Jesus and Peter? Not really what you expected right after the huge revelation that Peter received. And as you can see, Peter's not liking what 
Jesus is downloading to him. It doesn't really fit Peter's script for how things are supposed to go. Now, as you may know, Peter himself was a, a Jewish person. He had a Jewish background. And Peter would have adopted the same belief as most Jews would have at this time. And that belief was that when the Messiah would come, which is what Peter believed Jesus to be, they believed, the Jews believed, that the Messiah would provide overall political, economic, and spiritual relief for the Jewish people. So this was the storyline that Peter had playing in the back of his mind. But the story of Jesus, according to Jesus, was not about reclaiming worldly power for his people. His story was defined about reclaiming the human heart by laying down his power. In fact, I love this statement in uh, Philippians chapter 2 where Paul says that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by becoming obedient to death. So Jesus wasn't using the power he had to lift himself up, but Jesus would lay down his power and lose his life. This was the story of Jesus according to Jesus. And this was a story that Peter straight up rejected. And so in this case, God's story included a loss, not a win. Now, I have to admit, if I was Peter, I would probably try to convince Jesus to recruit some more people or something, to get some other people on his team so that Jesus could win. Because, you know, personally, I can't take losing. I don't know about you, but I don't like to lose. And since I'm preaching God's word, I should probably confess something to you. And it is that. I, I have a hard time losing. And there are times in my life, doesn't happen too often, where I will go to extreme measure to win. And so a few weeks ago, when I anticipated my <laughs> kickball team facing Pastor Matt's kickball team, I decided to make some winning decisions. Now, I'm not going to tell you exactly what I did to secure a win, but it, it might have uh, included me driving around my neighborhood the day before, uh, uh, looking for my son's most athletic friends. And it might have included me telling them, hey, you know, if you come to this, this picnic tomorrow, I will feed you as much barbecue as your little hearts desire. And I might have said, once you've eaten all that you need until your little hearts are content, you'll be well-nourished to kick the ball to Graham Road. <laughs> and you will be on my kickball team, and we will kick the snot out of Pastor Matt's team. And of course, church, please take a look at the victors and my recruits in those shameless <laughs> white tank tops. They tried to get me to wear one of those white tank tops, but Buffy said that she would never sit by me in church again if I did. So I refrained, and you should be glad, because you would be embarrassed too. But nonetheless, we were indeed winners. But in this story, Jesus tells Peter that the Jesus story is about self-sacrifice and losing, and not winning. Well, Peter doesn't like it, and he rejects the story altogether. Amazing moment in time, especially in light of the fact that 
Peter had just received this incredible revelation about what what God had for him. And let's just be honest, it was a sad moment. But at least the Bible is being honest with us. If you're out there and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't know if I can trust God's word. I don't know if I can trust the Bible. Just trust it on the basis of the fact that it tells you the honest truth about what really happens when we try to follow Jesus. And might I speak to my disciple makers, if you are someone who's mentoring and leading someone else, you're investing in someone else, this should at least be somewhat encouraging to you. Because if someone has been put into your life by God himself for you to mentor, for you to disciple, this rejection stuff, I have to tell you, according to God's word, it's normal. It's normal. And you can rest assured that when you lead, disciple, and mentor, you're going to experience straight-up rejection of God's word. Isn't that encouraging? You're going to experience straight-up rejection of God's plan. You're going to experience straight-up rejection of God's ways. I mean, if Peter, who spent time with Jesus in person, rejected the Jesus story to Jesus himself, I think we can rightly say this is normal stuff. In fact, if you know the Bible, Jesus endured even more rejection from Peter. If you fast forward to Matthew chapter 26, later on the book of Matthew, right after Jesus had the Last Supper, which you know about, uh, he sat down with his disciples right before he gets taken into custody, and Jesus predicts another moment of rejection. Look at what it says in Matthew 26, verses 31 and following. Jesus said to his followers, his disciples, he said, You're all going to fall away because of me this night. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Remember that for later. Verse 33, Peter answered him, Though they all will fall away because of you, I will never fall away, Lord. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you, Peter, will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now, many of you know this story. But Peter's communicating and conveying to Jesus unshakable commitment. But Jesus predicts this man, Peter, will not be able to stand on his commitment because the pressure is about to build too much for Peter and Jesus knows he's going to give in to it. Jesus knows that rejection is a normal part of people trying to follow God. Well, as you know, not long after this moment, the leaders, the chief priests, the officers of the temple, they come and seize Jesus. He's dragged into the temple courts, out into the open for the whole world to see. And later on in Matthew chapter 26, it says some interesting things about what Peter does. Look at what it says. It says, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance. You see, Peter had already started to separate himself from Jesus. He was more interested in self-protection than following through on his words. Very normal. It's amazing, though, isn't it, that a man so close to Jesus can so quickly separate himself 
when things get uncomfortable. It's normal. It's normal. Well, unfortunately, as you know, this distance from Jesus leads to straight-up rejection of ever knowing who Jesus was. Because look at what it says and later on in Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 and following. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. Verse 71, and when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth, and again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Verse 73, after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Wow. Under the pressure, in front of everyone, Peter denies vehemently ever knowing Jesus at all. He rejects him. Now, how could this happen? How does someone go from making such an ironclad statement to Jesus, and moments later, later, reject ever knowing him. Let me remind you of who Peter is. Peter, as Pastor Matt said last week, he was the one that Jesus personally called. He said, you follow me, throw down your fishing nets, and I'm going to make you fisher, a fisher of men. Remember, this is the disciple Peter, the one whom God, we just looked at, God revealed his true nature to. This is the disciple Peter, the one who God revealed his big, big plans to. This is the the disciple Peter, the one who Jesus gave his name to as the rock because Jesus would be an immovable force that would be able to withstand the forces of Hades. But in this pressured moment, he rejects it all. And after Peter rejected knowing Christ, the Bible tells us his true emotion about it. It says in Matthew 26, verse 75, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Such a sad moment in the pages of Scripture. But as I said just a minute ago, at least the Scriptures tell us the honest truth about what really happens in these discipleship relationships. Because Peter was God's man. He was a main disciple But I believe that God put this in his word for people like you and I to see. So that we would understand this is kind of normal stuff. I mean, if if my life were written in the scriptures for all the world to see, I have to be honest, it probably would read very similar to what you see in Peter's life. I mean, I know that I gave my mentors and disciple-makers such grief. They spent countless hours with me, counseling me, teaching me, guiding me, praying with me, talking and laughing. And you know, the people that were in my life that God put there as mentors and leaders, you know what they did? They never gave up on me. Even though I might have rejected in the moment what they had to say, they never, ever gave up. Because that's what disciple-makers do. 
after God puts someone in your life as a disciple maker, we do what Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 15. In the same ways that Jesus said, the Father, God, goes out and looks for a lost coin. He said that Jesus, God, is willing to leave 99 sheep in the wilderness and go and look for one. And then later on in Luke 15, Jesus said, it's kind of the same. God's heart, the way God doesn't give up on people, is the same way that a father will throw a party for a prodigal son. That's what disciple makers do. Disciple makers always look to redeem after the people that God has put in their life have rejected what God has for them. Because God always has a way of redeeming things. And the revelation that you might download to someone else that God gives to you was not put there in vain. Revelation, rejection may come after revelation, but take heart because the redemption can happen. Which leads to our last observation this morning. The redemption. Look at the redemption that happened in Peter's life. Now, let me provide a little bit of background before we get into this. As you know, Peter had a reason for rejecting Jesus. And the reason was to protect himself. Because you know the story. Jesus was indeed convicted falsely. He was crucified. He was laid in a tomb. And when this happened, Peter left to run and hide. He left to run and hide. But after Jesus was laid in a tomb... Three days later, Jesus was resurrected, and in Mark chapter 16, another gospel story of Jesus, we read about an, inc an incident of when some women went to anoint Jesus' tomb with some spices, and they assumed he was still there, and upon arriving, look at what happens. It says, an angel speaks to them, who was appointed by God, and says this, do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you catch that? God uses this angel to send a message about Jesus, and he says, go tell the disciples, and he mentions one person's name in particular. Whose name did he mention? Peter. Now, why do you think he only mentioned Peter's name? Why didn't he mention John's name, or the name of James, or Andrew? No, he gave a generic reference to all those guys, and he mentioned one person's name in particular, and his name was Peter. Why is this? What is God doing here? Well, we find out in another gospel story, in John chapter 21, what Jesus is up to. Jesus had shown himself and revealed himself to his disciples after his resurrection. And Jesus then finds Peter specifically and has this well-known conversation with Peter. It says this, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John... Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
And he, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus reinstates to Peter what God had for him. This was after Peter rejected ever knowing Jesus at all. And in spite of this, Jesus comes to Peter to redeem the initial call that he made on his life. All of this comes after Peter's rejection of what God had for them. God provides a redemption. Now you might be thinking, what did this redemption look like for Peter's life? Now I want to point out two things as we close here today about this. Two major things. Um, and as I do this, I want to remind you of something Jesus said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. This is the big takeaway. Jesus said to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So when Jesus said this to Peter, many Bible experts believe that the two major moves that I'm about to show you that God did through Peter are the keys to the kingdom that Jesus specifically gave to Peter. And the first key moment is in a well-known book known as the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2. And as you may remember, in Acts chapter 2, Jesus is no longer present. The setting is the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem. It's the largest gathering on planet Earth. In fact, one author wrote of this day at, day at Pentecost that there was never a more cosmopolitan gathering in Jerusalem than this one. And the Holy Spirit of God comes and descends on everyone there, and God begins moving in a huge way. And there was confusion, there was panic, and they're all trying to figure out what's going on. And in fact, in Acts chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says this, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, well, they've just had too much wine. So as you can see, this moment needed a leader. They needed someone with understanding and knowledge to interpret this moment. And the very next verse tells us who that leader was. Look at verse 14. It says, then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the, the crowd, and he said, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Well, Peter explains the moment. I don't have time to get into everything that he says. Read Acts chapter 2 later on today, and you'll see. But basically, Peter connects their Old Testament scriptures with the entire story of Jesus. Peter basically unlocks the door to who Jesus is, and the result is this. Look at what it says in verse 41. Those who accepted his message on that day were about 3,000 in number. 3,000 in number. Talk about redemption. God used Peter, who had been given the keys to the kingdom, to reach the world's largest gathering of Jewish people on that day. In fact, this was the day on which the church as we know it was launched. I would say that's redemption. 
Wouldn't you agree? This isn't the only place in Scripture where Peter unlocks the door for people to come into the kingdom. It occurs again in Acts chapter 10. And this is the last story that I will share with you today about the keys that Peter had. Now, up until this point in the Scriptures, um, there were no non-Jewish Christians at all. And uh, Peter actually um, is, is mentioned in this chapter. And in Acts chapter 10, um, it, it involves a guy by the name of Cornelius, who was a non-Jew, and he was praying to God. And as he prayed fervently, God was also, as I said, revealing something to Peter. And this is what was revealed to Peter in Acts chapter 10. It says, he saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him again a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made, made clean. And when all of this was happening, Peter then summoned some of the men that were sent by Cornelius, and then Peter arrives at the home of Cornelius, and Cornelius greets him, and then Peter says this to this man named Cornelius. He says, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection." So may I remind you, up until this point in Scripture, there weren't any non-Jewish Christians. God hadn't, hadn't really made a move to go outside the boundaries of the Jewish believers. And so this moment was a key moment in the history of the church. Long story short, Peter preaches the gospel to those in Cornelius' household, all of whom are non-Jews, and all of them receive Christ, and God moves among them. And this was the first big moment where God moved among non-Jews in the scriptures. So Peter unlocked the door for these Gentiles, these non-Jews, to come into the kingdom of God. He was the one to whom the keys were given. He was the one that, had, that God had given the revelation about these keys. Now imagine with me for a moment. The implications of the keys to the kingdom that Peter held in his hands. I would assume that most of you in this room, for example, are probably non-Jews. Probably non-Jews. And you are here in this place as a Gentile, as a recipient of Peter's influence upon Cornelius. Talk about a key moment. This was one. Now imagine if this vision that God had for Peter's life would have never been, been redeemed, so many of you would not be hearing the gospel today. So many followers of Jesus would not have had the doors of the kingdom opened for them. So in this moment, God is basically saying, open wide the gates because I'm eager to give you the keys to do it. I close with this. God has given some of you keys to unlock doors for others. He has revealed to you that you are going to be the one to unlock 
the mysteries of the kingdom of God to other people. And some of you, over the course of time, you've just rejected it. You've just said, you know what? I, I know that I had that thought many years ago. I felt like God revealed something to me in that moment. But I just, I just, I don't, I'm not sure if that was really God speaking to me. Well, listen, I think this message about the discipleship relationship between Peter and Jesus is reminding you that he has given you the keys to unlock doors for others, and he wants to redeem that revelation that he gave once to you many days ago, many weeks ago, maybe many years ago. Because there are some of you here today who have a person or a group of people that you want to see come into the kingdom. And you are the one with the keys to unlock the door. I close with these questions. Who is in your life now that you would least expect to come to Christ? Maybe you are the key to that person. This question, what group of people in your life right now would you least expect to come to Christ? Maybe you are the key to those people. And this last question, what major move of God has he shown you that he wants to do through you that you are to be a part of? Maybe you are the key to that move that God wants to make. What are the keys to the kingdom that have been given to you? Maybe you learn from Peter's life that he redeems his revelation and he will finish what he started. Paul said it this way, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God wants to redeem what he once revealed to you. The question for you is, will you use the keys to the kingdom he's put in your hands to unlock the doors for others? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the unvarnished truth and reality that we find conveyed in the pages of Scripture. I thank you that you don't give up on people. I thank you that you never gave up on me. And I thank you that you have spoken to hearts this morning through this story that we find in the Scriptures. I pray right now, God, that those in here who know they've received some type of revelation years ago, it could be as recent as months ago, I pray that you would begin by the working of your Holy Spirit to redeem that revelation and reignite it and help them to be convinced that they are a disciple maker who has been given keys to unlock the doors of the kingdom to people they would least expect. I ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I ask you to stand this morning. Thank you for coming to Victory Life today. I hope you enjoy watching the Cleveland Browns beat up on the Cincinnati Bengals this afternoon. And also my Dallas Cowboys.
completely decimate the New York Giants uh, this evening. But nonetheless, thank you for coming to Victory Life Church today. You are dismissed. <laughs>